All right, today we're saying goodbye to those contestants, those, those folks. They're challenged with a few things, but uh, what's going to happen is God, as you follow him, we've been looking in this series at how God leads us and how we need to learn to listen to him as he leads us. And the theme verse sort of weaving its way through here is Romans 8, 14, for for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. This is a major characteristic of God's children. We're led by him. We learn to follow him, and we learn to listen. Before we get into the, the heart of the message, I'd like to just uh, introduce someone to you, Andy Vivanco. Andy, would you wave your hand, sir? Andy is going to be leading worship for us on the 13th and on the 20th of November. One of our priorities has been to, uh, for this year, is to find a worship leader, and so we're considering Andy. Andy's considering us. Alex has done nothing wrong. <laughs> he's he's going he's to stay with us. He's going to be on staff. Uh, but I wanted to give you a heads up. Two weeks from today, Andy's going to be leading us, so you're not shocked. Nothing, nothing. Alex is okay. Just wanted to let you know that's going on. All right, good to have you here, Andy. Really, Andy and his wife Tammy uh, are, are uh, they're married, and he has his children here, and we're glad you're here. <laughs> we really are. Um, all through life, we need others to shift their focus off of themselves and give us the help we need. We need this. Actually, God arranges life this way. He gives people stewardships, he connects people to one another in families, and we have stewardships. And the reason he gives us responsibility is so that we can take care of each other inside the circle of the stewardship that he's given us, the trust. Stewardship is a trust. He's entrusted us with areas of responsibility, and he wants us to take care of each other. And and everybody needs help to get established in life, and especially if we're going to flourish we need a boost from others. We need, when we start out in life, we need parents to teach us how to walk, how to feed ourselves, how to clothe ourselves. We need someone, <clears throat> when we become adults, when we get out of school, whatever our last year of school is, we need someone to give us a job, even when we don't have much experience. We need a break and, and a paycheck. We, we need that. We need mentors. You can do life without mentors. You can try to figure it out on your own, but boy, they're a real help. If they can coach you as to what you're going through, what you're dealing with, mentors are a help. For a marriage to thrive and do well, you need a spouse who loves you when you're unlovely, who forgives you when you screw up, who, who sticks by your side through the bad times, through the good times. We need family members who look past the messes we make and continue to hang around us. We need friends who listen, who will encourage, who will take action to serve when it's needed. We need a church. You don't have to have a church. But boy, it helps to have a church that teaches the truth, where you can hear the truth to build a life on and then find examples of how to build that life. We, we need help from others. We need others to do good to us if we're going to survive in life. And especially if we're going to flourish, we need others to do good. Have you ever had someone come along and help 
just do good to you just at the time you needed it. I, I have. Cindy and I, we have a, we, we are buying a house. We don't own it, and literally we don't own it anyway. We're going to die, and somebody else is going to live there eventually. God's the one who really owns it. But through a miraculous series of events, I would say, God provided a house for us. Someone had to shift. They didn't have to, but he led, God led them to shift their focus off of their own needs to our needs, and they helped us get into this house. And it was important under the circumstances for us to buy a fixer-upper, real fixer-upper, guy that was helping me get in the house. He said, find, find the worst house on the block and buy that one. Well, we, we succeeded at that. The, the problem is I am not handy at all. If my dad were alive, he would... He would testify to the fact that I, I am not very handy at all. I needed help to get in this house. And as this transaction was taking place, men and others, ladies, men particularly, I needed, I needed brawn for most of this. And, and so several of the men in the church said they would help. And um, I believed them. But the house was going to close on a Thursday and, a, and a, one of the Leaders in the congregation called. I was going to close on a Friday, and the leader in the congregation called me on Thursday night and said, "You know, I don't, I don't have a lot of money, but I'm, I want to help you with this house." He led the charge, and several people helped me. I can say, after owning the house for 13 years, I'm much handier than I used to be. I actually did learn some things. You might find solace in that as I'm teaching up here. But often, I look around the house and I thank God. I look, at, I look at the tile, and that was provided at a very low cost through a series of events. It was laid by the one, by myself and the man who, who promised to help. I look at the flooring. I look at the, the yard. There were holes that were dug by others to, so I could plant trees. I, I look, as I walk through my house, I see, see the way it's come together and the way God's provided I'm extremely grateful for the help. Now I could have I could have refused I could have refused the help. No, you know. And actually there's something in me that would like to have the ability and the strength and the power to do it myself. But you know what I don't. We it's important to humble yourself and accept the help you need because we all need help in life. And as I walk through the house, there's just a testimony of people doing good by me. And God led them to do that. That's how God operates. I can't tell you how grateful I am, but this is what God does. Just-in-time training is a popular concept in business world today. God does just-in-time goodness. <laughs> like nobody else. He's the only one that can really pull that off. He's the only one that can pull off just-in-time goodness. At just the right time, he brings somebody along to help in just the way you need it. How does that feel when he does that? It feels good. I am deeply appreciative of of the fact that God is paying attention. And he's actually in charge of my just-in-time training and the just-in-time goodness and kindness that other people show to me. The Lord is going to lead his people. If you're his child, he is going to lead you to accomplish his purposes in the world. 
When we were starting the church, Cindy and I started the church in 1987, our rent was $750 a month, and we had a whopping $950 a month coming in for salary. That left a little gap because we had to eat and do other things. And God led person after person just, I didn't send out an announcement, but they just gave. There's a man that I don't think, I think maybe one or two people in this room would know if I said his name. For no reason whatsoever, he was a business associate of some of the guys who helped start the church early on. He would write a check out of the blue, $1,000, $2,000, just to help us get moving. That's just-in-time goodness. God, God's going to pull this kind of thing together. He, he's going to move his people to do good, to help accomplish in the world what he wants accomplished and to meet the needs of the people who need help and who need the good done to them. Now, if you refuse help to others, and we all have this thing in us, we want to do life on our own and be strong and powerful ourselves. If you refuse help from others, you never know the depths of friendship that God wants you to experience. Jesus and Peter had an interchange when Jesus was washing the feet of the disciples. Peter said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you wash my feet. And uh, Jesus said, well, Peter, if you don't allow me to serve you, to help you, to do this kindness to you, then you have no part of me. What he was saying is, this is the way life works. If, if you want to be connected to me, if you want to be a part of uh, me and what I'm doing in the world, you have to accept help. You have to. How does it feel when you've received just-in-time goodness? And how does it feel when you've given it? How does it feel when you've really helped somebody in need? Maybe you've helped somebody find a decent job. Maybe you've been a part of uh, helping them gain perspective as they go through a really tough time. Maybe you wrote a check to meet a need or to help them take advantage of an opportunity to learn. Or you, you, you spoke an encouraging word just at the right time. How does that feel? When you bring a meal to someone or work on their yard or help clean their house when they're in the middle of overwhelming circumstances, it feels good. It feels really good because it turns out we were made for this. We were made to do good. Not just to be goody-two-shoes in general, but to do good, practical, kind acts that meet the needs of the people that God puts in our lives. Look at Ephesians 2. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We were created in Christ Jesus. Those of us who have decided to follow Christ, we're a new creation. We have been created for a reason. We've been made and remade to do good works, to show kindness. We can expect, we're talking about how God leads us, learning to listen to him. What we can expect is that God is going to lead us to do good. When we follow and do good, 
the good that God lays on our hearts that shows us that he unveils before us, life is good. But this is counterintuitive. It's not our native reflex to be concerned about the needs of others. There's something in us that when, you know, we want to do good, but it's not, it's like hitting a baseball. I got the first real serious instruction in hitting a baseball when I was a sophomore in high school. I was really into baseball when I was younger. And the guy taught me, the, the hitting instructor taught me to hold the bat very loosely. And you, you need a loose grip and loose hands which is counterintuitive because when you're nervous and you're wanting to hit the ball far, you want to, you want to grip it and just take the best swing you can. But you got to hold it loosely, and then when you do that, boy, the, the ball just jumps off the bat. You have to learn that by repetition. And, and you need to develop, because you need to develop a different reflex, because when you're up at bat, you're nervous in a tight situation, you got to be able to relax your hands and trust that. This, this is how it is. When we start learning to do good, it doesn't really make complete sense to us to let go of our concerns and to put our focus and eyes on the needs of someone else. It's not a native reflex. We need God's help to develop a new set of reflexes. And that's what he's working to do. He's working to turn us inside out. When we do it, it feels right. It feels right. God is going to guide us to do good. He's going to guide us as we set our hearts to do good. He's going to turn us inside out to focus on the things that he cares about, on the people that he's made and put in our lives. This means we have to shift the focus off of ourselves and put it on others. The Lord blesses this. God makes a promise to those who live wide open for good in Isaiah 58. If you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. So this is a key to to getting guidance from God. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring, whose waters never fail. The the context of this verse is the the people of Israel, God's people, the nation of Israel, what they were doing is they were doing religious activities. They would go pray. They would go fast. They did that early in the day. The rest of the day, they would go and they would exploit their workers, people who were working for them, the people who were working with them. They would take advantage every way they could to use the people around them. And so God, through the prophet, is rebuking them. And he says, I don't want your religious activity. I want your heart. I want you to learn to spend yourselves for the people around you. And it's an easy thing for us humans to get our focus off of God, who he is, and our relationship with him, and how he wants to use us to bless others in the world, to religious things. It's very easy to live religious and and be wrong, to have the form of religion, and on the inside have a very, very corrupt heart. This is why religious people do horrible things in the world, because 
Their religion's just a form. Doesn't have the heart of it as a relationship with God Himself. There's a new thing I read in the Times this morning called Tebowing. I don't know if you've heard of it, Tebowing. Tim Tebow is quarterback for the Denver Broncos, and he prays. He goes down to one knee, I think, before games or something. Anyway, they've noticed. He's, he's a man who walks with God, from what I understand. He has a genuine relationship with him. When he gets down on his knee, he gets down on his knee and goes like this. That's Tebowing. Okay, this is just like us humans. Okay, I think he's actually talking to God when he does that. But now there's a thing, Tebowing.com, where you take pictures of yourself Tebowing. There's a guy Tebowing in midair. And the focus is on the form and not the heart of what's going on. That's what we humans do. But the heart of what it means to be a Christian is this. To admit there's nothing good in me that I have to offer God. To give myself to him and let him lead me to do the good that he wants done through my life in this world. That's, that's the heart of what it means to be a Christian. He is going to lead you and I to, be, to live wide open for good. And this is his promise that we see in Isaiah 58. I will guide you. I will satisfy your needs. I will strengthen your frame. And you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Because if we take our eyes off of our concerns, who's going to pay attention to ours? God answers this. I am. You can try to dig your own well to find the refreshment for living life on your own, but that's going to be nothing compared to the refreshment that the living God will give if you begin to spend yourselves for those who have the needs around you. If we're following God, we can expect him to lead us to do this good. The Lord guides us in this, and he guides us as we listen to him with wide open ears. Look at Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion. In other words, that word compassion means allow yourself to feel what other people are feeling in their circumstances. We, we don't show compassion because we don't want to feel bad, because we don't want to think that we need to help them in any way. But he says, show mercy and compassion. To one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. In your hearts, do not think evil of each other, but, but they refuse to pay attention, the Lord says. Stubbornly, they turned their backs and stopped up their ears. They made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen to the law. God had built these things into the law. Or to the words that the Lord Almighty had sent by his spirit through the earlier prophets, so the Lord Almighty was angry. God was angry because he shows a concern. Throughout the scripture, he shows a concern for the outcast, for the truly disadvantaged. He always makes provision for the orphan, for the widow, for, for the widow, for the alien, and for the poor in his law. You can see his heart for the outcast. He has a heart for the true underdog in life. This is why doing good and helping others in need strikes such a deep chord in human beings. 
because we were made in God's image. This is what's on his heart. And when we do good and meet needs around us, we're doing what pleases him. And we know it's right in a deep part of our soul. And so what he's going to do is he's going to keep leading us to focus on the outcast. And, and, and maybe the people who aren't very cool. You know, cool isn't a factor in God's value system. It really isn't. People are a factor. Cool or uncool, whoever you are, people are important to God. So if we're following the Lord, what we need to do is let the needs of other people get to us, move us. Don't stop up our ears to those needs. Come before God and ask him weekly, daily, moment by moment, is that a need that I can meet? Is that someone I can encourage? Should I get involved in this effort? Are those problems I can solve? We make ourselves available to do the good that God wants done and to care for people like he does, to show his love to the people around us that he's put in our lives. I think one of the reasons we stop up our ears, and I'm going to try to deal with the objections to opening our hearts to the people around us, to listen to what God's saying and how he may want us to move out. One of the objections is that the needs are so overwhelming, I can't process all of them. So as I see the need, it's overwhelming and it it weighs on me. So many times we're just, ah, 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 I can't take it. So I'm just going to quit listening. I don't want to see it. I don't want to know it. I I don't want to do that. So when we start opening our ears to the needs in the world, it's very easy to get rattled by the enormity of the need and be overwhelmed. So we, we quickly need perspective on how to sort through our opportunities to do good. When our hearts start to bleed for the people around us, how do we know when to respond and when not to? How do we know when to meet the need? Well, here's just some guidance before we keep moving on in the message. Because if, if we try to do everything, we're going to burn out and not be useful over the long haul. It's very easy to get twisted up in the over, overwhelming needs. So here's, here's just a picture to help us understand our place. When should I say no to a good opportunity? When it means I'm going to have to shirk my responsibilities to help. I say no. Now, this picture that I have up here is not to scale, because if it were to scale, there would be God, who's over the world. Our stewardships would be much smaller than that. You couldn't read the words, so we made it a little bigger so you could read the words in the my stewardship parts. But my stewardships include things that God has entrusted me with, like my life, my relationships, my relationships with my family, my friends, my church, my relationship to the church overall a ministry that God wants me to grow and build, that he's trusted with me with, my job, my money, my property, possessions. Uh, maybe he's given you some leadership. Maybe he's entrusted you with some authority. That's a stewardship. Those under you that he's trusted to you, that, that's your stewardship. The key word for a steward is faithful. 1 Corinthians 4.2, now it is required that a Those who have been given a trust, another translation says steward, those who have been given a trust prove faithful. 
God is not going to lead you to be unfaithful to your current stewardships. He is going to lead you to handle your responsibilities. Now, what he will do sometimes is to rearrange your stewardships and focus on a need. But he's not going to lead you to shirk your responsibilities. So that's an important picture to understand because sometimes we get overwhelmed and we just, how am I going to do it all? How am I going to take care of all the things I have on my plate and meet these needs as well? Well, he's going to want you to stay faithful and then he's going to lead you to, to meet needs beyond that. We'll look at that in a little bit. Another time to say no to a good opportunity, an opportunity to help, is when my help is hurting. You can look up First Thessalonians 4, 10, and 11 on your own, but sometimes our help is feeding someone else's irresponsibility. And God doesn't want anyone to develop an unhealthy dependence on others. He wants us all to grow up and be able to handle our stewardships under his help and guidance. So when my help is actually hurting someone, helping them be irresponsible, I don't do it. Here's another time to say no to helping, when someone else is willing and able to do it. Sometimes we set our hearts on doing good, we want to help other people, and we want to serve, and we have a hard time letting other people serve and shine, coming up with ideas and doing things. God... Remember, this is God. Sometimes we get this savior complex where we want to do it all and save the world. This is God's world. We, we aren't going to be able to meet every need there is out there. And the way God has wired it in the church body is he's put us together with gifts and strengths and abilities so that we can help each other out. And so if somebody wants to serve in a way that maybe you've served over a long period of time, Let them do it. If they're willing and able, let them serve. Let them shine. Let them get the credit. Let them get the glory. Don't hog that. God's made the church a body so that we're interdependent on each other and we have to rely on each other. So God guides us as we live with wide open ears and as we give with wide open hands. He's going to lead us to give of ourselves, of our time, of our money. He's going to keep prompting you and I to step out of our own little world to focus on his kingdom and his concerns for the world. This is what Matthew 6 is about. If you read that, what you understand is he's going to take care of our basic needs. He promises that. He wants us to focus on his kingdom and on his concerns, and he's going to keep leading me to focus on others and what he wants done in the world. What we tend to do as human beings is we tend to build a protective wall between our our own stewardships and God's concerns, his kingdom, and his concerns for the world. Now, the bricks in this wall, they're made up of my preferences. Sometimes, you know, they're not doing that the way I'd prefer, so I'm not going to get involved. I'm not going to help out there. I'd really... I'd do it. I'd do it. I would be very different in the way I approach that. So our preferences, our habits. Maybe we're just in a rut. We can't see outside of the walls of our rut. We're building these blog. Our possessions, our wants, not our needs, but our wants, are are some of the bricks. My perspectives and my values that aren't that aren't God's. These things come between 
my stewardships, and God's concerns. Now, what God is going to do, he's going to lead us to disassemble that wall. Over and over again, he's going to bring opportunity after opportunity, and and we decide whether we're going to leave that wall up or whether we're going to disassemble it. And sometimes he works to break it up himself. He allows trouble or brings trouble into our lives that for the very purpose of breaking down this wall so that we'll let go of the stubborn selfishness that we're hanging on to. And the breakthroughs occur when I surrender my will to do his will and to be used by him to bless the people in the world and to do good by him the way he wants. He's going to work in our hearts to grow our hearts, to enlarge our hearts so that we become generous and give with open hearts to do good and to accomplish his purposes in the world. Here's an example in 2 Corinthians 8. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches out of the most severe trial. The Macedonian churches were in the middle of a trial, a severe famine and trial. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. My impression is Paul was looking at the needs of, of the Christians in one part of the world, and as he thought of the Macedonians, he said, I'm not even going to mention this to them because they're hurting themselves. They don't need to worry about the other people. They've got a lot going on, and so I'm not even going to mention this. But the Macedonians wanted to give. So they pleaded, let us do this. Let us do it. I mean, I know we're poor. I know we're in severe famine, but we really want to help. And so he allowed them to do it. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you excel in this grace of giving. God is going to guide. He's going to guide us to give ourselves to good. He's going to guide us to have open ears. He's going to guide us to have open hands. And he's going to lead us to serve with wide open hearts. Romans 7, 6 says, But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Now, one characteristic of life in the Spirit is freedom. In, in the Scripture, there's two distinct uh, ways to live. We either live by the law or we live by the Spirit. Those who know Jesus Christ, we have the freedom to live by the Spirit. We don't in other words, we don't do good, the good that we do. We don't do it to earn the favor of God. We do it because we have the favor of God. That's not a proud statement. Ephesians 2 that we looked at earlier. Salvation is a gift from God. It's not from our own doing. 
And because we have that salvation, because we have the right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we serve in a new way in the Spirit that is marked by freedom. Our good works don't earn us anything. Jesus has earned everything for us. But we serve as the hands and feet of God in the part of the world we're in and as he leads us to go to other parts of the world as well. We serve in the new way of the Spirit to please the one who saved us. And as we, as we sow good seed, we reap a harvest that brings God's blessing in our lives. Look at Galatians 6. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Giving yourself to do the good God made you to do is at the heart of following Jesus Christ. When you live wide open for good, life gets better and better. It flourishes. You've needed people to do good to you. People need you to do good to them. When you do this, when you open your heart to other people, you know the joy of working with God to make a difference in the world, to partner with him. He's allowed us to be partners and friends through Jesus Christ. And as we do this, there's a tremendous amount of joy in it. As we wrap up the message, I'd like to draw your attention to the next steps on the listening guide at the bottom of the listening guide. They're also on the back of the connection card. If you'd pull the connection card out of the program, uh, I'd appreciate it, and we can walk through these steps. There may be some of these steps that you want to take. I have some suggestions, but you may have your own ideas about what God wants you to do as as a result of looking at his word this morning. The first step you could take is to memorize Galatians uh, Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So that's a great reminder, because I'm going to stay after this, Lord, because I know you're going to, You're going to bring the harvest at the right time, just in time, in his time. Next step, another step could be ask God to show me opportunities to do good today. So the rest of this day, I'm going to look for opportunities to do good, and I'm going to do what I'm able to do. I'm going to make arrangements to do what may not be able to be done today, but I'm going to be looking today for those needs. And then maybe you've been investigating what it means to follow Christ, and, and you're ready to follow him, to accept him as Savior and follow him as your Lord. Maybe you've come to the end of yourself, and, and you, you want him to lead you. He will lead you. That's a characteristic of the children of God. And so if you're ready to take that step, that's one you could mark. For the first time, I accept Jesus as my Savior, and I will follow him as Lord. And then if you've been to CIV Preview, you could attend 101 today. That would be a, another step you could take. In a moment, we're going to receive our offering. And I'd like you to take the time to finish completing any information or next steps on your connection card that you haven't had a chance to, to fill out. And then when the offering comes by, uh, drop it in the offering. That would be great. 
if you're a first-time guest, we have a gift for you. Through those double doors to the left on a table that's just a little higher than the others, there's a book called The Case for Christ. It has some great answers about Christianity, who Jesus is, what it means to follow him, and we'd like to give that to you for you to read and enjoy. Uh, you can pick that up on the way out. That'd be great. Would you pray with me as the band comes up? Father, we thank you for just your help. God, thank you for the way you've wired life together so that as we start out, there are people to take care of us, to do good to us. You want us, Father, to learn as we grow to do good, to show kindness that is, is shown, uh, that needs to be shown to the people around us. Thank you, God, for the privilege of working with you to do what you want done in the world. Thank you for your, your goodness in this and for your love and patience with us that, that saves us and guides us to become more and more like you. Thank you for all that you've done in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.